Welcome to the Dermatology Podcast, the official podcast of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. I'm Christopher Horskamp. And I'm Sechi Dumitwash. And we are your hosts. Today, we get to meet up with esteemed professor Branka Marinovich, who just finished her term as EADV's Secretary General. We will speak with her about that role, as well as her work with the Autoimmune Blistering Diseases Task Force to create the updated S2K guidelines on the management of pemphigus vulgaris and foliaceus initiated by the EADV. Those guidelines are really very important because uh, they brought something that we really needed recently. We'll catch up with her in a moment, but before we get into that... Did you know that the ADV offers free webcasts every other Wednesday at 2 p.m.? To see what's coming up next, go to eadv.org under education. Members have the added benefit of watching them on demand later and download the certificate of attendance. And speaking of membership, if you're not already an EADV member, have you thought about becoming one? Benefit from access to on-demand webcasts, online courses, 17 medical journals, including EADV's esteemed JEADV, over 20 textbooks, reduced fees for congresses and symposia, and much, much more. Just go to EADV.org under membership for more information. Professor Branka Marinovich is the professor and chair of the Department of Dermatology and Venerology, University Hospital Center Zagreb, and University of Zagreb School of Medicine in Croatia. She is the current president of the Croatian Dermatovenerological Society of the Croatian Medical Association and editor-in-chief of the journal Acta Dermatovenerologica Croatica. She has authored more than 100 articles in index journals and 60 chapters in books. As we mentioned, she also just finished her role as the EADV Secretary General and is here with us today in the EADV studio. Welcome, Professor Marinovich. Thank you for coming. Thank you. To start off, now, we met when you were a co-opted member of the Scientific Programming Committee in early 2015. Since then, the world has changed, maybe we can say a lot, uh, to put it lightly. What has changed in your time at the EADV? We met... In 2015, I started with EADV. I member since 1997 mm-hmm. when I got scholarship to participate at uh, EADV Congress in Dublin. Uh, but more involved in EADV, I became a secretary general of the Spring Symposium that was organized in Tzavtat, Croatia in 2010. Mm-hmm. At that time, I also participated in the world work of scientific committee. But then I became board member in 2012-2013 and was invited and co-opted member as, uh, in SPC. Uh, I was thinking now at the end of my term as secretary general, what has changed in the last four years. Mm-hmm. And when I think about it, I have feeling that I started my term in the last century because so many <laughs> things changed in the meantime. When I started, just to speaking, just speaking about these last four years, when I started, there were two offices in Brussels and Lugano. There was completely different way of leading the office. So a lot of things changed. I have, of course, feeling that they are changing to the 
better. And of course, it, for me, it's very difficult to speak about it completely, not to be in a kind of conflict of interest because I participated in those changes. But speaking with the people around, I think that things changed. Also, when we speak about SPC, uh, as we met first time there, mm -hmm. changes are big. Uh, I think that program became really one of the best, if not from my perspective, the best dermatological congress in the world because it's really worked on with patients with a lot of time invested to find good speakers and I think that Congress in at Congress scientific program is one of the most important things that people are looking for. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And it's attracting people to come because we can see that in we can see it also um, according to the number of people that are attending Congress. It mm -hmm. started to be higher and higher. And if we look a little bit on statistics, we will see that we have more and more international members, especially from United States, that are participating at our Congress. So it means something because they also have very good Congresses in the United States. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so your role has changed a number of times for the yeah. EADV, and it's about to change again. You became Secretary General in 2017. What has been your greatest achievement in this role? For me, it's difficult to say what was my greatest achievement. That would be maybe better to ask others who worked <laughs> with me. But I think that um, big achievements were made in the organization in having... Um, merged both offices, having people together in the office, putting some, some things, making maybe less bureaucracy in applying for membership, what I think it's very important, because things that are very, uh, that are very complicated, bureaucratic, they do not attract people to apply for membership. So I think we made a lot of such things easier. Of course, there is always something to be improved, and uh, that's for the next next generation for my succeeder on the position and for the whole EC. But I think the whole EC is very proactive and tries to bring um, improvements and to improve everything around academy, in the academy and around the, the Congress. It's difficult for me to speak about achievements, so I think the whole the whole EC really worked together, mm -hmm. and and it's something that difficult to split what each of us did. Yeah. Let's rephrase the question: Of which achievement that you helped implement are you the most proud? Yeah. What what I'm most proud, I think that the atmosphere when I started was a little bit more tense. We were more not so relaxed. In the meantime, we really are working but also having good time we are became not only colleagues but friends uh, and it was visible especially in last two years we, when we had to change completely our mode of of action our mode of work we had to move to to virtual meetings so we did it but the joy we, which we had in july when we met again face to face we, we could see that we really missed that and that it was not only about the job, about the work, but it was also about collegiality and friendship. 
Traditionally, the field of medicine has been a predominantly male profession, and so today there's still a considerable gap between the number of male and female doctors. The gap's a little bit smaller in dermatology, but still notably exists. If, if we can ask, how has being a woman affected your career, and what advice would you give to women entering the field of dermatology today? Maybe I'm not, not the best person to be asked about it. I personally don't like these divisions to female and male doctors or mm -hmm. dermatologists to Eastern and Western. I think we are or good or bad. <laughs> But uh, speaking about dermatology, especially in the country where I'm coming from, uh, I would say that uh, being a woman... It's something that almost became normal in dermatology. For example, in my department, there are about 80% of females. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, and in Croatia, what is maybe not very common, but uh, head of all university departments are only women. So m males <laughs> maybe have much more problems. But of course, this, this was just an example of, of our country. But um, I think that more and more... F In, in dermatology, I would say that there are more than uh, 60% of females, even maybe more. I, I don't know the number. It's It became more female um, uh, specialty. But in medicine, if we look at the universities, speaking about university where, where I work, I would say that it's about 60 to 70% females entering the university, yes. Um So, but but then when we look at the positions like presidents of the societies, like uh, maybe deans of the universities, in some countries also head of departments, there there are some gaps in the specialty that is mostly female, and males are chairing. So this is maybe I'm really not the best person to to be asked about it because I never felt that being female brought me or any advantage or disadvantage. That's my experience. So, uh, Actually, we've asked that to other guests before, and uh, we, we have had similar responses, which I don't know if it would have been the case 50 years ago, 60 years ago. The world's changed. You got similar responses. Th that you yeah. said, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it depends. It really depends from country to country. Mm -hmm. But uh, especially, I would say, Middle Europe... Uh, Eastern Europe, those are countries where there are more and more also female chairs of departments. But we have special situation in Croatia, so yeah. What do you perceive as the greatest value that the EADV has to offer to healthcare professionals and patients living with skin diseases? So if we speak about benefits that EADV is offering to, to its members, uh, of course, it is reduced fee to 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 participate at the Congress and Symposia. Mm -hmm. Then it is journal, our journal, Journal of European Academy of Dermatology and Venerology, that is one of the seven best journals in the field of dermatology in the world with high impact factor. We are starting now a new journal, open access journal on clinical practice. We have many courses that we offer to residents and to specialists, then virtual library, many other things also, um, different uh, courses on e-learning platform, 
So there are really a lot of things that are offered to specialists. Regarding patients, we are really dedicated to patients and the different group of patients. At our congresses, we have so-called patient village where they can get uh, like a booth and they can communicate with doctors from different countries. Also, we have patient association working group, which is very important for us and which we try to do, not, not to say push, but which we uh, as, as society really support in their activities. Uh, if we think about patients, the role of patients is more and more important in the in the world also when we think about producing guidelines because if we want to have um, guidelines that are really appreciated and that are accepted there is always need to have a patient's voice in those guidelines just to see what they think because we are speaking about how we will treat them so they should also be part of that and give their opinion what is sometimes forgotten. Where do you see the EADV in five years from now? And what will be the significant and upcoming challenges and milestones? Yeah, it's difficult to say what will come and what will be in next five years. We have learned that in the last two years because <laughs> it really changed our way of predicting things because... And last spring we said, okay, but till the winter everything will be over. We learned it's not so easy. So we are still not organizing big meetings face-to-face, although we really all need that social contact and we are all looking forward. It's difficult to say, but I think that from from uh, this COVID, to say COVID situation, COVID pandemic, we learned that some things could be done also virtually, that some things could are easy to do uh, virtually, that we can spare some time not traveling around for each meeting, for each course, that there are some things that can be really well done virtually, but then there are another group of things or, or lectures or meetings that really need in-person meetings. So maybe we will find a balance between this in-person meetings with Zoom. We we, we learned about, uh, it is very often mentioned in last, I would say last year, this Zoom fatigue diagnosis, hmm. which we all have problems with, you know, because sometimes I would say that these um, Zoom meetings or whatever platform it is, are for me much more energy consuming because you have to be much more focused, but that doesn't mean that you, you are much more productive. Yeah, because sometimes when you look at the in-person meeting to somebody else, maybe from the body language, you can understand much more than from the words that are said to the cloud. And bringing that up, this is actually the first interview we've had in the studio. It is. Every other interview has been through Zoom or through Skype. And the difference in being able to, between body language, between nonverbal communication, and, and just being able to respond in real time makes such a difference. And, and it even augments the energy of a conversation. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree because last week I, I was... Um, 
recording some lectures and it's completely different to sit here in front of you because I see you, your positive reaction and or, or recording the lecture and just watching to the to the screen because I, I think that all of us are looking forward and sitting with the real people, not only with their pictures on the on the screen. Yeah, we'd like to get into your work on the JDV article updated S2K guidelines on the management of Pemphigus vulgaris and foliaceus initiated by the ADV. This was published in 2020. Concerning these guidelines, what do you consider the most important recommendations concerning the treatment and monitoring of these conditions? Those guidelines are really very important because uh, they brought something that we really needed recently and that they brought it rituximab, so anti-CD20 antibodies, as a first choice therapy for the patients of Pemphigus. Although uh, we knew that this therapy is therapy of choice and in many countries it was already used as a first therapy, especially after the article that Pascal Jolie published in The Lancet in 2017. Without written guidelines in some countries, it's very difficult to get approval uh, from the hospital for to, to give this drug to the patient. So we needed this as a tool which helped us in our everyday work. Mm-hmm. So that is the reason why we really were pushed to publish those guidelines as soon as possible to to facilitate our everyday work. How do you envision the impact of these guidelines on everyday clinical practice and patient care? What is very important when we produce guidelines and I can say I think that those guidelines are one of the of those that I think guidelines should be like uh, that they are not too long. They are really written not for experts experts that know the field, but for the practicing dermatologists that they can use it in their everyday work. So in a way that it's structured with some schemes they can follow, of course, with the most recent references. The basis for those updated guidelines were the guidelines that were published in already in 2015. That was also in, in GADV. So we updated them with the new new drugs and some new knowledge, but the basis was also published in GADV 2015, I think. And for our listeners, if you're interested in reading this guideline, uh, a link will be provided in the in the show summary. In your view concerning the current autoimmune blistering diseases, AIBD, treatment landscape, what are the biggest challenges and most promising developments in managing these conditions? I think that the rituximab brought really big difference and uh, we learned that we can really help our patients with pemphigus vulgaris. Of course, there are some drugs in the pipeline and some clinical studies are going on, but of course, we don't have some so results. Some of the results are published, but still a lot to be done. I think that it's very important that we start to use rituximab in pemphigus patients as early as possible. It, of course, depends on country, on country regulations, but as as early as possible. There are also some doubts, should that be prolonged? Maybe should we give it longer than 18 months? But those things should be 
should come and will come with uh, experience with more case reports, case series, some studies. But I think that is in the moment the greatest achievement. And, and, and it changed uh, the quality of life of our patients. It really changed, I can say, from my, my personal experience. And what is the most crucial information to be shared with the patients about the disease and treatment during the medical consultation? Of course, uh, as pemphigus, both pemphigus vulgaris, but it's more, much more common than pemphigus foliaceus, are, were, were life-threatening diseases before starting, in, including corticosteroids in therapy. And then some patients also were, mortality was quite high because of side effects of corticosteroids. This drug brought them new perspective. Of course, they never should forget that there is also topical therapy and that they should uh, consult always the centers with experienced dermatologists. But for patients, it's also very important that that the groups, that as patient groups of pemphigus and pemphigoid uh, are really very strong in the world and they can contact them and then they will will uh, give them some advices where to go, whom to contact. And they are really very good, very experienced in that. And they always find the nearest expert just to help to start the therapy. Afterwards, a lot of other dermatologists can continue because it is important to make diagnosis as soon as possible, to start therapy as soon as possible. And then it is much easier and the prognosis of patients is much better. Concerning the methodology of the guidelines preparation, could you please tell us about the involvement of the Autoimmune Blistering Diseases Task Force of the ADV? So um, when we were producing first guidelines, so those that were published in 2015, we were asked by by uh, EDF guidelines group to start producing guidelines for, they were asking authors to start producing guide, Pemphigus guidelines. But Already at that time, some autoimmune blistering diseases experts that were part of, of task forces which were not so strong in beginning of 2010-12, yeah, uh, uh, participated. And then we, as, as a task force, we wanted EADV to be more visible in those guidelines because all of us were members of EADV. And... As a, for task force, EADV gave us opportunity to meet at the Congress. When we started update, uh, it was really idea of task force because in the task autoimmune blistering diseases task force, I can say we are a group of the people interested in the same field. Mm-hmm. We, we cooperate for many years on different projects, on different publications. So I can say we are a group of friends and we started this updating uh, and it was really done during the congresses, but also we prepared a lot of materials prior to the congress Mm -hmm. and then discussed some points that were maybe doubtful where there were not so big consensus where we should, where we needed to discuss and then After the consensus, the article was finished and published. Yeah. Great. 
because task forces are something that gives strength to the academy. And mm -hmm. of course, these are a group of people interested in the same field and they should then have interest to produce such things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also, we are also in the moment working on pemphigoid guidelines. Uh, uh, I think that quite recently in GADV are published um, guidelines on uh, dermatitis herpetiformis. Mm -hmm. Also on mucous membrane pemphigoid, there are two articles also published in GADV. So we are quite active group. During the preparation of the guidelines, how would you describe the collaboration with the European Dermatology Forum and patient organizations? I would say that uh, European Dermatology Forum, I would say that in this in this um, update of European uh, of, of European guidelines on pemphigus, EDF was not so much involved as it was in the first first guidelines. Uh, and so it was, I would say, more product of task force. Mm -hmm. But and regarding patient uh, organization, they are they were asked and they were involved and they got to uh, they got opportunity to give their input mm -hmm. because um, international pemphigus and pemphigoid organization is very strong. And they have their uh, patient groups in different countries, so they were invited to to give their inputs. If you have a message for all the dermatologists listening right now across the world, what would you tell them? I would tell them to join EADV, who is who already haven't joined, to use EADV not only as opportunity to participate at the congress at a reduced fee, but to have opportunity to have access to our journal, to have access to different uh, benefits that EADV offers to its members, and also to participate, hopefully, to our next face-to-face -face symposia and congresses and to network with colleagues, to meet the colleagues, because exchanging experiences with our colleagues exchanging maybe our problems and hearing that they have some similar problems make our lives nicer. Professor Marinovich, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Well, Sitchell, that was our first in-person studio recording, and it was really nice having Professor Marinovich here. What a great guest. It was really nice. We have certainly appreciated our work in advancing the EADV. So again, we would like to thank Professor Marinovich for joining us today. And not to put it lightly, her last four years of service to the EADV. Of course, the updated S2K guidelines on the management of pemphigus vulgaris and foliaceus, initiated by the EADV, were published by the JEDV and can be found at a link on today's episode summary. And as always, we would like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts to make sure you get the newest episodes delivered right to you. We appreciate you joining us and look forward to presenting more interviews, research, and other topics of merit. Until the next episode, take care of your skin. <laughs>